What's up, y'all? It's Zach with Living Corporate. Now, look, you know what we do, okay? We come on the show. We have real talk about real things. These real things are actually fairly benign on their face, right? But we take these fairly real topics, and they're real, or rather we make them real, because we're centering black and brown experiences. So today, we're talking about building a leadership profile. Now, in building a leadership profile, uh, you know what? I'm not even going to do that. I'm just going to go ahead and get into it with our guest, Deidre Wright. Yes, that's right. <laughs> All right. Come on now. <laughs> Welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm good, Zach. Thank you for having me. I'm really happy to be here. I lived a corporate life for most of my career, so it's exciting to talk to you. No, thank you very much. I'm excited to uh, to have you on the show. And see, you know what I did? Those are bars, Deidre. So I said, Deidre Wright, and you said, that's right. See, I knew <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm so right. So I'm like, anyway, it's I, I got it's, it's wordplay is all I'm saying. Okay, so for those of us who don't know you, would you mind sharing a little bit about yourself? Yeah. So everyone, I'm Deidre Wright. I'm a Bay Area native, and I call myself a storyteller and strategist because I um, worked across industries, but mostly what I do is empower clients to effectively tell their stories and create strategies to execute goals. And so I say this because I worked in public health, marketing, and risk management, and with all those fields, I kind of use that that skill set, and my that's my passion. So I graduate from Spelman College with a sociology and anthropology degree with the goal to make the world a better place. Um, graduating during the recession, it was a little challenging, but I, I was able to help kind of do that. And so I worked for Kaiser Permanente um, in, a, in public health research, working on a study, learning why girls start childhood puberty earlier. So what, why mm. puberty is starting earlier and long term who gets breast cancer mm. and communicating findings with the public. And then I transitioned to marketing because I found that without a clear call to action, people don't really make changes. So I was doing internal marketing for McKesson, helping employees sell their services. And then I landed on insurance Really, at first, um, advising billion-dollar companies on their risk management and how to improve that for their companies, and later now being an award-winning director of diversity inclusion, helping companies in insurance promote and advance diversity and inclusion. You know what? You just had so many just just flex bomb moments in there. First of all, you talk about the fact that you graduated from Spelman. Shout out to all the uh, the Spelmanites, the Spelman women. Uh, come on now. <laughs> Don't like, like let's, let's not play. Um. Okay, yeah, we got we got to shout y'all out, and, <laughs> <laughs> and then you have some big names in there: McKesson, Kaiser Permanente. Um, that's that's incredible. So, you know, you talk about you, you're talking a little bit about um, just kind of your journey. You again, you named some huge brands in there. Um, I'm looking at your profile. I'm just gonna look at the like just the last year and a half. Okay, so mm-hmm. 2018, you got the the NAAIA Emerging Leaders Co Chair. Your 2018 dive in festival san francisco co-chair and then uh-huh. you were the 2018 water street club insurance rising star and then the 2019 insurance careers month emerging leader okay and that's yeah. just again the last year and change but it's relevant because like i said today we're talking about building your leadership profile i have a theory right and i could be i could be crazy because I'm, I'm all I'm, I'm just looking at the field Deidre. i don't you know i'm not a sociologist or any type of scientist i'm just kind of looking <laughs> at the space right and i have a theory that black and brown folks in corporate america spend a lot of time trying to make sure that we're just strong individual contributors because, you know, we're conditioned and taught to just do that. And for a lot of us, this is, this is a lot of us are like our first generation of our families being in corporate America. Right. But mm-hmm. I believe as time continues forward and uh, the millennial workforce increases and like its representation increases within the workplace and we age up in the workplace, that there's going to be a continued demand and opportunity 
for us to continue to really take on leadership positions. So can you talk a little bit about your journey in becoming a leader and like, what does yeah. that look like for you? Mm-hmm. And I'll have to have a little more flex bump. So like I said, I work in the risk management insurance field, but using my platform and my leader um, standpoint, I've done a lot of fun things, including speaking at events for Barack Obama, Colin Powell, and America Ferrer on the lineup. Yeah. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on. Let me just pause you so I can do this. Okay, continue. Thank you. And then having viral LinkedIn, you know, posts where I have one that has 23,000 views, another one has 37,000 views. And I say this because no matter what industry or skill set, you can be a leader and use your influence to call attention to the cause that you care about. So what's my leadership journey looking like? Um, I guess no matter what, I always focus on setting goals investing in myself and taking strategic risk. And, you know, you heard my kind of bio. I've done a lot of different things in different fields, but I always stay true to my values, which was, you know, being strategic and storytelling. And so I say that because what happened was um, I was, a, like I said, a contractor for McKesson. And so my contract ended and I had my son the, a month afterwards. So my vision was take a couple months off, go back to McKesson, do my thing. But they had laid off a bunch of marketing people. So I had no job to go back to. And that's when I was like, OK, I have a baby. I need to make money. Let me figure this out. And so that's when I kind of got back to my values and my goals. I was like, OK, let me check out insurance and risk management. My mom was in the field. She is doing great. And really think like, what do I want out of career? Start attacking that. So started with um, informational interviews with leaders in the space because I want to say like, if you have the secret sauce, I want that recipe and figuring that out for me. And then taking strategic risks to start and breaking myself in the industry of taking jobs. And then once I got the positions, making the position my own and being a thought leader. Um, the key thing to being a leader, I would say to everybody is figure out your craft and promote it on different channels to help people, whether it's like living corporate, you know, having this experience and teach people skills, but mostly make strategic moves to always figure out how to promote your expertise and level up by seeing um, or asking what experience in my career is going to give me the highest ROI for career time. So if I'm spending three years of my time on this project or 30 minutes speaking on a stage, what is the ROI for this? And that's kind of helped me navigate these different changes in marketing to, you know, to insurance, being a broker, from a broker to diversity inclusion, having those key processes of assessing goals, being strategic and, you know, seeing what's worth my time or not. Let's take a step back, though. Right. So everything you're saying, 100 percent, I get it. It makes sense to me. But what would you say to the person who's like, look, I don't really know what my focus or passion is. I'm just here. I'm just I'm just happy to be here. Like, what, what advice would you give to that person? I would tell them to shift their mindset. Just being happy to be here is, I mean, what are you living in a life of scarcity or abundance? Like, yes, I understand. Like I told you, I had a baby and no, and no money. I was thinking like, dang, but I had to, I don't know if it's my maternal instincts or just my hustle in me. I'm like, I got to figure out how to make this work. And so I would just think level up your mindset and think about, okay, if I'm here, yeah, I'm happy for the situation, but what do I want to do with it? Where do I want to be in three years? How much money do I want to make then? What kind of impact do I want to leave this platform? For example, when I was a broker, I always wanted to empower my clients. And like, let me be clear on what I mean by risk management. My clients were Airbnb and Lyft and Starbucks and UPS, like big, you know, global clients. And I say that because just like you and me, we want to protect 
our ourselves, we also want to reach goals. And so I would say manage your career like you're managing risk in your in, in yourself and think about, okay, if I invest X amount of time in this place, what's the return going to be for me in reaching my goals? So I guess I would just say change your mindset to just be more than just happy to be there. Like think, how am I going to make this work to be happy and earn my worth? No, I love that. You're absolutely right. You know, it's, it's scary uh, though. And like, I, and I say this as someone who I'm trying to put myself in like, the other person's shoes because you and I we vibe on, on that level because we both like look I gotta go get it I don't have any kids yet but yeah <laughs> you know <laughs> but but I get it right I, I am married it's like okay look I gotta like if, if like this can't stop like I gotta keep going right mm-hmm. um, at the same time I, I ask myself okay so for the fir- for the folks who are not necessarily naturally as industrious right like um, what are some of the like just kind of starting steps and I hear you right what I'm hearing is it's about identifying okay just what do I want? What do I want the next 18 months to look like? What do I want the, like, what the, ne- the next three years to look like? And then like thinking with the end in mind, then kind of working backwards from there and then asking yourself and kind of asking and perhaps a scary question of, okay, well then is what I'm doing getting me to that point? Yes or no. Mm-hmm. Okay. No, that, that's great. Um, so, you know, it's interesting. Um, what are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned in becoming a leader? And then if I could kind of take a step like a little bit below that, as you've been continuing to grow and navigate these spaces, what are things that you see, uh, you know, our black and brown folks doing out there that can hinder them in their leadership development journey? Yes. What I learned as a leader, which is funny, you know, probably like you, Zach, it's like you just do your job and you do it well. And I say that because I consider myself like a mentor or a helper. And it's great that I'm a leader. And I'll say that, you know, I I take that role. But I just think ultimately is figuring out what your purpose is and how you can live to that higher calling. Um, But, you know, the real thing is one, invest in yourself, whether that is taking time to do the work. For example, um, like when I was a broker, I would spend time, hours reading insurance policies. Now, I don't know, Zach, if that's what you do for fun, but most people don't do that. <laughs> but I was taking the time, so I knew what the heck I was talking about, and I had that confidence in front of my client. When I am the only millennial, only black person, only woman in the room. And so you've yeah. got to take time and invest in yourself. Or I, you know, had an executive coach who was helping me, you know, did a program and to really figure out what I wanted to do and how I wanted to do it and whatever, investing that time, going to conferences, meeting people, networking. You have to do these things if you want to get far. And for us, you know, black and brown people, two things I would kind of say is one, be strategic and understand no one's going to invest time in you as much as you. So if you're waiting for your company mm. to tap you on the shoulder saying, I know you're going to be a leader. Yeah, that might happen passively, but only you can really give all your effort into doing that. And then two, part of my job is that I organize events and, and plan them for the industry to, to, I guess, really just bond people and give them tools and resources for DNI through events and stuff. So for example, I'm planning a national diversity and inclusion conference yeah. that's coming up. And I say that because I, I look for speakers. I want speakers. I also judge um, a national woman in insurance award Coleman to watch. And so I, I assess and judge women leaders and their profiles, see who are worthy of these awards. Now, rarely do I um, see at our events people volunteering who are people of color or whoever to be speakers at events from a technical standpoint you know 
and rarely do I see people nominate, nominating themselves for awards. So the biggest thing mm. is advocate for yourself and put yourself out there because if you don't do that, then who will? So I think that's the biggest missed opportunity. Working hard is not enough. You got to really advocate and promote your brand because people want to help you. People want diversity. There's more than ever, I will tell you right now, companies are investing in diversity and inclusion and they want leaders. We just had a diversity survey, uh, my company, Business Insurance, studying diversity in our industry. We had over 800 people do it. And one of the questions were, what is the biggest barrier to increasing diversity in our industry. And for the second time around, it was we can't find minorities with the right skill set. And I don't necessarily believe that is my case. I just think it's perception. If people don't perceive there are leaders there, then they're not going to tap you in for opportunities. So speak out and promote yourself to be that leader they see. No, 100%. And let me um, me double click on one thing you just said. I'm not going to lie to you. What a huge pet peeve is like the whole... We don't have the pipeline. We don't see these this uh-huh. like that. So much, so much of that is like if you just open your eyes, like in today's era, right? So some of it is perception, how you present yourself, and there's a there's a certain level of accountability that we have to take in terms of how we how we show up. At the same time, um, and I, I don't want to speak to insurance because that is a space that I'm not wholly familiar with, but I will speak yeah. to like technology, right? So okay, okay, so like Facebook. And other like larger technology firms will say, well, we don't really have we have a we have this diversity problem because we don't really have the pipeline. But the reality is there is tons of pockets of people like black girls who code black code collective. There's all types of like groups out there and pockets. And there's uh, black folks at these uh, PWIs and HBCUs. There's organizations out there that do have the talent. I think the challenge is, is that what I'm not seeing across the board is like a truly like intersectional and inclusive talent sourcing strategy when it comes to actually identifying that talent and then making sure that those folks are actually represented in terms of what does it look like for you to go out to those schools or engage these different groups or partner with these various organizations. Like if you look in the same places for this diverse talent, then yeah, you may not find it, but if you actually just kind of broaden your scope a bit, you may actually find the folks you're looking for, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I truly believe it. And that's one of the things I help, you know, my clients with is figure out where do you find this diverse talent? Diversity means so many different things, to so many different people. Right. Um, and, and I and I know all industries are different, but I will say for us, it's typically they go to the same colleges because they typically want to, someone with a risk management degree. Risk management degrees are very, uh, you know, they're not that often you find them. They're only a certain amount of schools. So I'm like, and those schools are not necessarily diverse. So I'm like, and mind you, majority of the people come in our industry don't have interest in insurance or a risk management background. Like I had sociology, right? Yeah. But I did my job really well. So I'm like, knowing the statistics that majority of people come in without this, I'm like, why would you narrow the focus? So I think the first thing is find transferable skills, um, companies, you know, and then people be open to other industries besides your own. That could be promising because insurance is a couple trillion dollar industry it's really a lot of interesting things going on right now there's insure tech which is infusing um, technology with insurance there's all these new risks out there like with bitcoin and you know you have you know shared economy and all kind of fun stuff so it's a lot of great things so whether you're a company find people with transferable skills go to professional organizations whether it is like you know ascend um prospanica national black NBA, and find people with the skill sets 
who obviously are leaders in their space but might not be leaders in your space also look and see where else people are at because i don't know maybe technology is a better job than this but i'm like are companies really leveraging social media and right. new forms of communication right. to find people yeah. a lot of times no so that's what you got to do no straight up um in fact hold on, let me just uh, go ahead and straight up yeah i i agree <laughs> <laughs> Straight up. <laughs> Straight up. Man, what a, it's a wonderful soundbite. Okay. So you talk a lot about inclusion and diversity within the context of leadership. And these are my questions, right? Can you, one, explain why IND is important to you? And then practical ways you reinforce and you would encourage other leaders to reinforce inclusive behaviors. Yes. Why does it matter to me? Um, Straight up, I will just say it's because um, I was working in the industry and mind you, I'm second generation. So I quote unquote belong here. We're very, I would say the industry typically is a lot of second generation or multi-generation people in the industry. But I didn't actually feel like I belong because like I said, I didn't really see many people who look like me. So right. just having that self-awareness, I'm like, and I was complaining and someone was like, Deidre, stop complaining. Like, do something. I got really involved in um, diverse inclusion work, whether it was from volunteering or being part of organizations. So that was kind of, I had skin in the game and I have to be the change I want to see. And I spoke at a lot of events about that. And it's actually how I got my job because I was on stage speaking at this event for my, my current company and the CEO saw me and was like, Deidre, like your ideas. And that's why I promote people. If you have great ideas and solutions go and speak and, and do that so you can find the right opportunities to, to um, be poached for those opportunities but um, what are practical and tactical ways to in- be more inclusive I would say diversify your network to the point you said of poaching talent or finding talent but also who you mentor and who mentors you so think about this yes it is really important to have a person of color as your mentor in this space, but also it's good to have people who don't look like you. Um, I try to, as much as possible, find mentors or colleagues who have different backgrounds, whether it's from um, they were in the military or they're, they're male or they're white or whatever, but just different people that give me a perspective on things. And I find that very, very helpful and also feedback on what they're receiving from me and my brand. Also, I would say as a leader, if you were a manager or, or just anybody on team, Learn people's learning styles and how they communicate and bring out the best of them because not everyone's extroverted, so they're not always going to communicate how they feel, but maybe they're better in smaller groups or maybe they're great with projects and then running with things, but don't assume that your way of communicating and doing things are the best, but I would just ask people like, hey, what's the best way to bring out your best so that we can get your A game at the office and that we can make sure you're satisfied. Um, and then lastly, to speak up and speak out. If you're in a place of privilege in any aspect, I would address things, whether you're at a meeting and a woman's trying to talk and you're a man and someone's interrupting her, call that out, you know, like, hey, I think, you know, Sheena wants to talk. Or if you're a person in corporate, like for me, it's like, hey, I'm getting a lot of opportunities how do I make sure I teach other um, women of color, people who are underrepresented, how to get speaking engagement so that I can see more diversity on the stage when I'm at events and not be the only one. So I would just say speak out, diversify your network and learn people's learning styles. I love that. And you're absolutely right. Like in terms of diversifying your network. So what I've been learning in my, in my career is to have as a black man, to have some white men in my network. Right. And like, mm-hmm. I love it because 
So I'm not trying to brag on myself. I'm just saying I really <laughs> do like enjoy building authentic relationships. And mm-hmm. I'm not going to put I'm not going to make it hot, make the block too hot for my friend. So I'm not going to drop his name. But I have a very good friend. He's a, a dear friend of mine. And we met at work. Mm-hmm. Um, white guy. And. Um, you know, fairly conservative background. Um, and I would just say like across the board, like fairly conservative, uh, white man. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, he and I met because he saw that I was being treated, um, inequitably, um, on a project and mm-hmm. he advocated for me. And that's how we became friends. Um, and we've been friends for some years now because, uh, through that. Um, but what's interesting is as I kind of talked to him about challenges I'm having or like, Man, I don't know how I would handle this. And I'm thinking about like all of these fairly like referential ways to do something or just, I don't know, kind of I, like I'm choosing certain binaries because of um, I don't want to say classically conditioned, but the way that I've been raised. I just think, well, this mm-hmm. is the way I have to do things. He's coming at it from like a different perspective coming at it as from a perspective of a privileged white man. So he's like, well, like, you don't have to do that. Just do this. And it's like, oh, my gosh, I would never even think to try that. Right. Right. And so it's like opening your eyes a bit. Um, something else you said now. I know you talked about like if there's a woman talking, you as a man saying, hey, you know, I think she has some, something to say, like, please, if you give it a listen. I would also challenge that if you're a white woman in a position in those positions and you have like a, a black man or a black mm-hmm. man of color, use that privilege to um, uh, Cassandra, Becky, <laughs> uh, Charlotte, you know, just help yeah. help us out, please, because we we need it as well. Um, I think I think there's some. There's some intersectionality there that should be considered. Karen, there's another name. I was just trying to yeah. think of some other names. Um, anyway, so as we continue forward and we talk a little bit about like relationships and networking, can we talk about like coalition building? You kind of alluded to it already, but it's a role in developing a leadership profile. So you talked about building this network. What does it look like for you historically to build mutually beneficial relationships? And do you have any examples of when those relationships have come into play to benefit you? Yeah, um, that's a great question. I would say I always wanted to make things mutually beneficial. I just come from a standpoint, I don't like moochers, and I don't want to be a moocher. <laughs> I just I just think that's kind of tacky, honestly, it and it just tacky. turns me off. And yeah. it's it's bad for my brand. Like, she always asks for something but not returning it. So I've always kind of been that way. I will say my trick is... And it's not even a trick. It's really just what I do. I always end a conversation, meeting, whatever, asking people, how can I be of service to them? Because one, it helps me know like how I can actually help them. And two, it makes me think of who in my network can also help them. So I've connected a lot of people for business opportunities, job opportunities, just personal opportunities through this having this network. I'm like, oh, you want A. I know someone over there who can connect you with that. Or you want this. And so... I would just say ask the question. It doesn't cost you a thing, but you might make an impact in house. It always come back to help me. Like I've never had a situation where it hasn't one, either I made a new friend or have goodwill or two people reached out to me. Like I get a lot of referrals for business, whether it's for my job or for speaking opportunities or just leadership opportunities. I got an award for, I guess, being myself and being helpful to people and always leveling them up. Um, I find that I'm stronger when I have a stronger circle around me. So I'm always trying to find who those people are. So I build it by, 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 you know, being out there to, and publicly speaking, I've, a lot of people I meet through Twitter, Instagram, link, you know, just the interwebs because I put myself out there or I comment on what they're saying because it's compelling to me. 
And so there's different ways to have mutually beneficial relationships. I just think, one, you got to be open to them. Two, you actually got to follow up and do what you say you're going to do. Um, hmm. But when it when it comes to when is it been, like I've I've come from an abundance mindset. I don't ever think that it can't be more than one leader. It can't be more than one of us. So I think y'all have to get out the mindset of that. I can't help somebody else because I lose something. You only have something to gain by helping somebody else out. Come on now, I 100% agree. And you know what? And that's that another point. You're absolutely right. Like about following up. Look. <laughs> people send up <laughs> you know i do know you need listen i look like i look at my little emails and thank god you know what this is not an ad shout out to y'all gmail because y'all do the whole thing <laughs> received this three days ago follow up that, that has helped me so much i'll be in that inbox i'm in that inbox like <laughs> i'm like <laughs> <laughs> I love, yeah you're in there we'll be following up like hey we had this conversation um i just want to circle back make sure we're good and, and dear you did that with me you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, we gotta, <laughs> hey, you got you got to do it. Life is crazy. Life is just so busy. It's it's important. Um, okay. So let's pivot a little bit. In your article, um, yeah. why strategic companies must manage diversity and inclusion as a business risk. It was recently published in Savoy Magazine. Can we talk a little bit about the piece and what inspired that? Yeah. So you know, risk management is my background. It's always on my brain. Whether it's from personal risk management to like company and. I say that because people think of risk as always as a bad thing, but risk is, you know, and based on the institutes, it's an organization, the insurance um, industry, it talks about, you know, possibility of a loss, no gain or gain. So you can have different levels of risk. And so with diversity and inclusion, it can, if you do it right, it can help you gain for your company. If you do it wrong, it could be harmful. And let's be clear, we see all these things in the news, all these headlines when people are failing with diversity and inclusion. And I just want to help educate the consumer and companies and people about why this has to be a strategic um, risk and, and opportunities. Because let's look at the, you know, the news. So Papa John's, he's going over here saying the N-word, you know, during conference calls, had to step down as a leader. Mm-hmm. And from that incident, you know, within a the month, they, their store sales fell 10%, you know, Dolce and Gabbana, they had a situation where they had a model, you know, who's Asian looking like she was eating like pizza with a chopsticks and like it was inappropriate yeah, and then calling like, yeah. and then what happened was they had to cancel a fashion show. Consumers were like destroying their products and then their products were removed from different platforms in, in China, like Chinese magazines, Alibaba, whatever. And then another case is, you know, the Con- Conrad uh, Miami hotel out there, they discriminate a manager discriminated against a woman she was she asked to have sundays off when she started the job because of her religious reasons they end up having to um pay her a uh, of damages of 21 million dollars you know and others for lost wages because she was fired as retaliation for one to go to the church and she asked for that time off and so i say this because when it goes wrong it costs companies money no it is a risk you're 100 right right and you think about like angry orchard so they just recently had a situation where they interrupted um, they interrupted this couple trying to get married. This man was trying to propose to his um, to his girlfriend. Uh, they accused them of stealing merchandise. Oh wow! And eventually kicked them out of there. So no, I, I'm I'm 100 with you. So of course that then draws boycotts and all types of negative <laughs> uh, press space. Now listen, I don't personally drink at Angry Orchard. This also is not an ad, uh, but you know, That's some Angry Orchard right there. <laughs> <laughs> some angry talk. People angry at the orchard. Okay. Yeah. Right, for, yeah. For the, the wrong thing. and right reasons. Mm-hmm. Okay. Please continue though. 
No, but that's where I'm coming from. I, obviously, I know. So when I say I'm, I'm hosting and organizing a diverse inclusion conference, we are concentrating as a risk management community, talking about how we can help the risk management community get a hold on this from a strategic standpoint of either making insurance companies money or saving them through mm-hmm. talent acquisition and getting the right talent. Because we know if you lose employees, you lose a certain amount of money of trying to rehire people. We know what these. So think about this. When these companies have lawsuits, how are they getting paid? Typically through insurance. When it's a lawsuit and a That's claim, right. unless it's, That's yeah. Right. So it's really important to my industry strategically from whether it's their internal practices or what's what they're paying out, especially if they're million dollar claims or lawsuits, what's going on. So it's a strategic risk to think about how do we leverage it to grow our revenue and our brands? And also how do we minimize issues so that we're not losing money or losing top talent. I love it. I think that, you know, it's just interesting because and I keep saying it's interesting, right? So, you know, <laughs> you know, Deirdre, how when you talk to people, you have certain things that you say as your pivot word. And yeah. It's interesting. It's like my pivot word says phrase, but I'm going to work on that. I'm going to work on that um, after this interview because I, I won't stop right now. But I just can't be, stop. Won't stop. I, well, I, I will stop eventually. <laughs> Um, not today, but not, you will not tomorrow. It's, it's, about, it's about being introspective in the moment. I think that, you know, uh, uh, live uh, introspection can help you actually move forward as opposed to because you may not think about it again. So I'm calling it out right now in the middle of this interview awkwardly. So as as I get older and I just pay attention and I'm, I'm bringing this up based off what you just talked about with the, the business imperative and the strategic imperative of, of inclusion and diversity. I realize, though, how much of the world I navigate is catered to white experiences expectations and comfort and that doesn't really uh that's that's not exclusive to any it's inclusive of of corporate america as well and when i think about the work that you're doing in some way or uh, another simply even bringing up otherness pushes up against some of those uh levels of comfort so how do you navigate the fragility that comes with discussing non-whiteness in majority white spaces you know now, maybe that's my pivot work, you know. Uh, I've been trained <laughs> for this job and position all my all my life. I've been trained for this because growing up, um, you know, from kindergarten to half of college, I was in majority white spaces. Like my elementary school, K-8, my sister and I, maybe three other kids were, were black. Like it was just mostly white. So I guess to me... Um, the thing about this is when any idea or concept you're selling people on, you got to tell them what it, what's in it for them. And I think that's a clear thing. And also don't make people feel ashamed for learning and uncovering bad habits. Like mm. for, and I don't know, think about this. If somebody, you know, for example, like you said, if you're saying a trigger word to pivot things, right? Oh, you know, Zach, like every time you transition, you keep on saying interesting. That's horrible. You're going to be like, dang, that was, that, that hurt me, right? It's just the same thing as saying, hey, you know, you always interrupt women. Like, why are you doing that? That would not be my tactic when it, you know, comes to whether it's women issues, people of color or whatever. So I always try to think of, you know, how do you come at a situation, whether it's for a person or a company or whatever, of how to tell them what's in it for them. So, for example, hey, Acme company, you're doing great when it comes to business practices, when it comes to just in general, like you're, you're making money. Have you thought about the strategic risk of not having diverse talent and not really investing in that? 
oh, you have a diverse talent. Yeah, yeah, but do you understand the demographics are changing? And client and companies are having either corporate social responsibility plans or diverse inclusion initiatives that require or ask for diversity and what you're strategically doing. Let me help you with that. Let me help you formulate a plan because I want you to succeed. Or, hey, I want you to be a good leader. Do you know that, you know, people are being evaluated now on how they are inclusive leaders? I have tools and resources if you want my help. And then they ought to ask for the help or say, yes, I want the help, you know, but at least make people aware of things in a way that you're helping them and less from a point of accusation or you're doing something wrong because we all make mistakes. But until we're made aware of in a way that's safe and safe to admit, I have people tell me, Deidre, like, you know, you put these things out there with diverse inclusion that makes me rethink things and you say it in a safe way so I don't feel threatened. And I'm like, I think, thank you for saying that because that is very uncomfortable to say that you feel uncomfortable and threatened by things because you're, you don't know what you're doing. So I'm happy to help you. Now, everyone doesn't have to do that. It doesn't have to be the burden of a minority to educate the majority on their pain or frustration. That's, that is a lot of, um, it's just a lot of work, but in the, I'm choosing this work. And so I'm using my, my power and my platform to do that. So it's a choice involved, but you got to either step up and be open to changing and pivoting your messaging to make real impact. I love that. And you're, you're absolutely right that it, it is a choice. Um, and, and there are different methods to do that. I do love the fact that you said, you know, uh, black and brown folks and just non white cisgender folks, non white mm-hmm. male cisgender folks were not obligated to carry the burden of, of educating people. So I'm just go ahead and give you this right here. Just, just, just so few people, because you know, there's just also this narrative of like, well, how can they know if they, you don't teach them? Like, because they, because they got Google. Like, people learn how to code. That is what I, I'm like. There's you can Google YouTube anything, and so <laughs> that's so really much. now Zach. The thing about I won't deal with ignorance to the point where people like twit, like trolls and stuff like that. Right, like, right. I don't have time for trolls. I'm not a troll collector. I don't really like those <laughs> dolls or people. So. I don't play with them. I don't right. play with trolls. Okay. But people who are really open to learning. Right. That's, yes. That's the, that's the qualifier. They got to be open to learning. <laughs> but I like the fact that from the jump, you say, you know, you've been basically, you've been molded for this. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. you know, you've been, you know what I'm saying? Like to this day, right. You don't, <laughs> right. You know, <laughs> you know, and I don't know about your background for me. I also, that's why I strategically chose to go to Spelman college. I went to Atlanta. I visited out there for a homecoming. My cousin went to Clark and I was like, this is popping. Oh, yeah. And I transferred in the middle of my college experience. And so I won, I won the experience, but I've never been a majority in the all mostly black woman environment. And it was kind of a reality shock. So I also say on the flip side, if you've always been other, you might want to try to be in the majority because it really is a way to reframe your identity because on one side, yeah, it's a lot of issues and stress being the other and always trying to like reinforce what you're doing. But sometimes it's also a platform to make you stick out and people look up to you and whatever versus you blend in. I mean, no one realized I was new for a while to tell people, hey, I'm a new girl. I don't know where I'm going because I was camouflaged. And so I say that because, you know, it's no real perfect spectrum on this and what you can do so i would just say use your platform no matter what you're doing to help things out and i also say this because i had a mentor um and she was like 
Deidre, I was I was young as my first job. She said she said, "You are a young, attractive black woman in this space, and no one really looks like you. You're gonna get people's attention no matter what. Make sure when you do, it's for a reason. So minorities, people, you stand out. You know, you're whatever it is that you you you, you stand out in your space." Actually leverage that as a tool to stand out for a reason and get your agenda across or, you know, or use your thought leadership because, I mean, it is a gift and a curse. So why not use it to your benefit? No, you're absolutely right. And, you know, for me, because I typically do stand out, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm a black man. I'm like six, one, I'm a pretty big dude. Right? I'm like, like 270, 280. Like I'm a big guy. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, so, you know. I know that I'm going to stick out. And then plus I have this weird like Southern slash Connecticut accent because my mother was an English teacher, but I'm also very country at the same time. And so I have this unique profile. So when I show up, I'm just look, I'm trying to I'm trying to make a show. Right. And not like in a Bojangles kind of way, but I mean, make an impact. You know what I mean? Oh, Lord. I show up like I, I show up. I'm like. What it do, baby? You know what I'm, I'm like, I'm out here, okay? And like, yeah. you know, I have, you know, I'll, I'll bring you in with the jokes and stuff. And if you actually trying to challenge me, like, I actually have some, you know, I have some intellectual rigor behind what I'm saying, right? I might hit you with some multisyllabic words, you know, whatever. So I hear you. It's my point. Um, okay, this has been a great conversation. Any parting words or shout outs before we let you go? Yeah, shout out to myself. I'm Deidre right? I'm hey, here. Oh, she <laughs> said shout out to. My, oh my gosh, yo. <laughs> Because you know, if it's nothing else you learn this session is you got to advocate for yourself. You got to be your best cheerleader. Man, shout yourself out. It's a way to do it, but do it. Because if we don't do it, who will? And I say this because there are so many people I meet, young people, and they're like, I would never think you work in insurance. You don't look like that. And I give them a different alternative reality and role model. So by advocating for yourself, I tell people it's selfish not to share your expertise. It's selfish not to say who you are and what you're doing because you could be motivating so many different people by just sharing and promoting yourself and inspiring generations. So advocate for yourself. You know, find me at DeidreWright.com. Um, also, I'm on LinkedIn and Instagram. Um, so at Instagram, I'm Wright. D-E-I-D-R-E-W-R-I-T-E like I'm writing you know my life story and just holler at me if I can help you with either personal branding diversity inclusion and uplifting our people of all kinds to advance and promote diversity and inclusion my goodness gracious you know we over 100 episodes we have never had a guest say shout out to me yo not shout out to my (laughs) mom not shout out to my people shout out to me I love it no no 100% and we'll make sure we have all your links and stuff in the show notes so no cool. pressure there. Uh, okay. Well, look, thank y'all for joining the Living Corporate Podcast. Um, you know where we're at. Look, you just Google Living Corporate at this point. That's right. It's a slight flex, but it's a true flex. Okay. You Google. If you go to Google, shout out to Google. This is not an ad. Google, Yahoo, Bing. What's another search engine, uh, Deirdre? Uh, um, Ask Jeeves, I guess, is no Ask longer Jeeves, here. Yo. <laughs> <laughs> Ask him. <laughs> What you gonna say next? Black Planet, Zango, that's Jeeves. <laughs> MySpace. I mean, I still can't get into my my old MySpace page. Forgot my passwords, but yeah, my you can probably was, find me there too. My MySpace was fire back in the day. Anyway, um, <laughs> the point is, we're out here, okay? And we're really enjoying the fact that y'all are listening to this podcast. So shout out to y'all. Uh, if you want to subscribe to the newsletter, again, just Google Living Corporate. You click the link. And there's a subscribe button right there, right when you click on the website, okay? We have new content. Of course, we got this dope content right here. We got new blogs. Make sure you just check us out, okay? This has been Zach, and you've been listening 
to Deidre Wright right now, right on time. She's just right. You know, that's right. You know, it's right. Not white. Right. Deidre's right. Deidre's right. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Zach, man. I appreciate it. And let me know how I can ever be a service to you. All right. We'll talk soon. Peace. Living Corporate is a podcast by Living Corporate LLC. Our logo was designed by David Dawkins. Our theme music was produced by Ken Brown. Additional music production by Antoine Franklin for Musical Elevation. Post-production is handled by Jeremy Jackson. Got a topic suggestion? Email us at livingcorporatepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us online on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and living-corporate.com. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned.